Hey everybody, you're all very welcome to the latest episode of Revenue Hacks with myself, Christina Quigley. I am so excited to be here today in association with Raise Up. We have the most amazing show ahead of us. We are talking about the real human behind hospitality and we have such an amazing panel. We've had some amazing discussions backstage and offline over the last few weeks. And I can't wait to bring this to you with Raise Up to the front today. Um, before we kick off, I do wanna talk about something that's really, really big that's happening coming up in two weeks time. WTM is happening which is going to be one of the first shows in London in a very long time for the global travel market and Revenue Hacks will be having a Revenue Hacks day. It will be hosted in a hotel in London where you can actually come and meet some of the team. We're also going to be doing a hospitality hackathon. It's going to be leading on from this conversation today, which is, is there a solution to the hospitality staff crisis? What can we do? Because we are the voices that power the change. And today we have Dr. Deirdre Kern on the show with us, who's going to be championing this change. She has been championing it in Ireland for a very long time, and now she's working on a global scale. If you want to get involved in Raise Up, please log on to the website, register. There's an Eventbrite link there as well that you can actually register as well. We'll pop it in the comments. So if you do want to attend on the day, we're more than happy to have you. It'd be great to see everybody in person for the first time since almost two years. It's actually crazy. But without further ado, we're going to go around the room quickly, introduce people so we can get on with this topic because it is a hot topic right now. We need to talk about being able to change hospitality, change the industry. We're talking about changing our technology already and so many people have embraced technological changes. Why can't we do this? with hospitality leaders and HR and how we employ people across the world. So without further ado, let's go around the room quickly. So Calvin. Yes, Calvin Saloki, uh, CEO at RevPar Media. You guys may know me as Rev Problems on Instagram. And um, I now utilize my social media skills to, to show hotels um, how to leverage the power of social and um, get guests, turn followers into guests. Uh, also, obviously worked in hotels for 20 years. So I got a lot to say on this one. Sylvia. Hi, everybody. I'm very glad to be here another time. I'm Sylvia Cantarella. I've been working in hospitality and in revenue management for 16 years now, uh, mostly in trains and since the last four years for independence and also as a consultant. And last but not least, Dr. Deirdre Kern. Hi, everyone. My name is Deirdre Kern. I'm an academic in the business school in the National University of Ireland in Galway. So greetings to everybody from the west coast of Ireland, where it is unusually sunny. And, and I'm utterly delighted to be here. Thank you so much. And I'm actually delighted to hear that it's actually OK weather at yeah. home. I'm actually yeah. from the west of Ireland. I'm actually in NUI Galway alone. Um, so this topic is very close to my heart. And it's amazing to have you on board because not many people realize how difficult working in the hospitality industry can be, but also that the people that are in the industry, like the new upcoming leaders, are the voices of change within the industry. So Deirdre, you have been working on this um, research for a very, very long time. You've been focusing on not just the hospitality sector, but various sectors throughout your career. But you've noticed a huge issue within the hospitality sector when it comes to employment rights and to people, how they're being treated in general. Can you share a small bit of information with us? Okay, now the challenge is going to be the small bit of information, but I'll do my best. So um, so I recently published a report called Inside Out Hospitality, and um, it is a glossy, short, easy to read um, um, account of research that I did on the lived experience of hospitality workers. So as a little bit of background, I've been working as an academic in NUI Galway for over 20 years, and I have known for all of those over 20 years that there have been challenges to people's experience of work in the hospitality sector. And I've known because um, the kind of areas that I teach in NUI Galway are all about the employment relationship and when that employment relationship goes wrong and how do you protect yourself and uh, where do you go if something bad happens to you at work? And so because I'm teaching that in the classroom and because a lot of our students would work part time in hospitality for 20 years plus, they've been coming up to me after class and saying this happened or that happened. And is there anything I can do about it? So I've known anecdotally that there have been problems in the hospitality sector. And then a number of years ago, two young women who were working in hospitality 
um, in Galway actually came forward to talk about ill treatment they had witnessed or experienced. And they didn't know where to, where to go, but they knew they had, that something had to be done. So they approached a local senator and he reached out to me and I reached out to um, trade union representatives and migrant worker representatives. And we formed a grassroots campaign called the Galway Hospitality Campaign. And we had one ambition, and that was to develop a badge uh, that employers could put on their windows saying that they treated their workers with dignity and respect. That was our one objective. But unfortunately, how you know we got bogged down in how do you define dignity and respect and who would you believe if, if employers said they did, would you believe them? Um, if workers are afraid to speak out, how are you going to find out whether they are in fact treated with dignity and respect? And so over the years, when representatives from employer associations here um, and government ministers would come out and say there are no problems in hospitality, most hospitality employers treat treat workers like they would treat their own family. we had no evidence to dispute that and they had no evidence to support it because the fact was there was no no research evidence on the lived experience of hospitality workers in Ireland until I did this research in July of 2019. So it was a long build up to the realization that we needed to start gathering some evidence. Um, And so in July of 2019, what I did was I designed a very comprehensive survey for hospitality workers, which was put out through online. um, It kind of bounced through online, various online platforms. And the questionnaire had 38 questions asking workers all sorts of things about themselves and their biographical details, asking them about whether they were getting their employment rights at work, asking them about their experience of ill treatment, asking them about HR practices that they were exposed to, asking them about whether they get their tips, asking them about whether they felt they had a voice in the workplace. So a whole range of questions, 38 questions in one survey. I've said to my students since, if if a student designed that survey, I would tell them that's ridiculous. It's far too long. But I couldn't stop myself because I wanted to know everything and there was no previous research. And the truth with online surveys is that people won't generally take the time to complete an online survey. So with 38 questions, half of them requiring people to put more detail in a text box, you would imagine that it was, you know, that that was going to be off putting. But the reality is that in the time that it was open and closed, which was four weeks, 257 people took on average of 18 and a half minutes to complete the survey. Now, that was the first realization for me that people wanted to talk. The average was 18 and a half minutes. And so the survey, although it was quantitative, provided an awful lot of qualitative data as well, because for some of the questions, all 257 people put information into the text box. Um, So there's a couple of disclaimers that I would like to say just to start. First of all, 257 workers is not representative of a sector that employed 180,000 workers at the time. I have never claimed that it's representative. All that I can argue is that it's indicative. And the issues that are emerging from this research, at at the very least, warrant further investigation. Um, So it's important to make that disclaimer. Second disclaimer is, are all hospitality employers mad, bad and dangerous to know? No, they're not. So there are some really excellent employers out there. And since I've published the research, um, I've come to know hospitality employers, some of whom are excellent. And I've been saying to them, you need to speak out and say, this is how you do it well and still make a profit. So there are lots of good employers. But in terms of the research, so the the main uh, method was the online survey, which brought in a huge amount of data. But the last question I asked on the survey was, would you be interested to talk to the researcher in more detail? And if so, leave your contact details. And what I was hoping for there was uh, maybe five or 10 workers where I could dig deeper into the findings. 101 workers left their details. So that was another shock moment for me because I had no research funding. I had no time. I had no assistance. And yet 100 people had said that they wanted to talk more. So what happened in the end was I offered people a number of options. There were a small number of people who had 40 or 50 years experience in the sector. And I interviewed them in detail because they had this wonderful longitudinal perspective on the good, the bad and the ugly of the old days up to the good, the bad, the ugly of today. Wonderful insights um, from their longitudinal perspective. And uh, so, so I interviewed them in depth. 
then the other method that I used, which was actually my son's idea, was he said, why don't you invite people to submit an audio file answering a few simple questions? So because I couldn't meet everybody, I said, you know, if you would if you would like submit to me an audio file from your phone answering three questions. What do you like about working in hospitality? What do you not like? And tell me about an incident where you felt unfairly or badly treated. What happened? What action did you take? What was the outcome and how did it make you feel? And you won't find that method in any research textbook because we made it up, but it was incredibly powerful because what happened was, and 20 people submitted audio files, you could hear people's voice as they recounted the incidents. You could hear the hurt, the anger, the embarrassment, the disappointment, the humiliation, you could hear it in their voice. So that was a really, really powerful medium. So just to bring you to some of the, the now I suppose one step back as well, my motives for doing this research, I have two motives. One is to give voice to hospitality workers. And two is to provoke a conversation that will hopefully lead to positive change. That those are my motives. And so whenever I, I I, I talk about this research. I try to uh, refer to the actual words of research participants where I can. So if you'll bear with me for a second, just before I give you some of the highlight stats, I just want to read you. I carry around these cue cards with the actual words of hospitality workers. And every time I speak about it, whether it's to government ministers or to employers or to workers, I try and use um, a couple of direct quotes from workers. So I'll just read three out for you. So the first one is, I'm treated like a horse as they feel like I'm able to do five people's work instead of one person's work. It's so hard to work in a place that expects you to do everything. Number two, we've often been sweared at, called stupid and useless. Same as my other colleagues at work. My boss will throw punches at the wall, throw a chair at one of the workers and insult the way I look and talk. Apparently I sound like a robot. And the last one, the boss in my last job used to regularly roar across the hall at me banned other staff from speaking with me, regularly reported me for minor infractions, for example, being 30 seconds late for work, and gave me a verbal warning for using too much air freshener in the bathroom. So those are just a few quotes from actual workers, but let me give you some of the low-lying statistics from the, the research findings. So one of the things I asked them about was their legal rights. In Ireland and in every country, employees have a suite of legal rights that are there to protect them. They're sometimes called protective legislation. And, um, and so I didn't ask them about all the rights. I asked them about a number of the rights that are particularly uh, relevant. So, for example, the minimum wage in Ireland is currently €10.70. Now, that may sound like a lot, um, but if you're living in Ireland, trust me, it's not enough to live on. Um, so I asked people, do you get the minimum wage? It's called the minimum wage for a reason, and no worker should be paid below the minimum wage. So 12% of the, of the respondents were not getting the minimum wage. Now, 88% were, which sounds good, but it's the minimum wage. And even those who were getting it, they would say to me, well, sometimes I come in 45 minutes early for work, and sometimes I have to stay an hour late after my shift, and I'm only paid for the work for the hours that I'm rostered for. I'm not paid for all the extra work. So when you average it out, I'm not even paid the minimum wage. 70% didn't get a Sunday premium, which is a legal right in this country. 84% didn't get a wage slip that told them what they were being paid and what they were being paid for and what deductions were being paid or taken from their wages. That's a legal right here. 52% didn't get their rest breaks, their legal entitlement to rest breaks. And as I say to people, the reason we have that law is if people don't get rest, they, they can't perform to the standard that they need to. They're more likely to have accidents at work uh, and they're going to fall over basically and, and collapse if they're not getting rest. So 52%, nearly every second worker wasn't getting their minimum legal entitlement to rest breaks. So there were issues about people not getting their rights at work. But worse for me was people's experience of ill treatment. So for example, 63% witnessed or experienced bullying. 63%, 55% witnessed or experienced harassment. And the most common forms of harassment were harassment based on gender, based on race, or based on age. 77% um, uh, reported experiencing verbal abuse sometimes or often. 
verbal abuse sometimes or often, 77%. 64% reported experiencing psychological abuse sometimes or often. And 15% reported experiencing physical abuse sometimes or often. So 15% is a low statistic, but as I've said in every platform, what's an acceptable statistic for physical abuse at work? These were incidents where someone in a position of power put their hands on somebody, either in an aggressive and intimidating or maybe a, a sexual way. And to me, the only acceptable statistic there is zero. So um, so there are some really dramatic statistics. Now, bearing in mind that this is 257 workers, it's a, it's a very small sample of workers. But for me, there's enough alarm bells going off there to warrant further investigation. And as this was the first research ever done here, if nothing else, it screams out the need for further research. So, I mean, just, you know, um, the, the mature respondents, so the people who had 20 or 30 years 30 or 40 years experience in um, in the sector, that longitudinal perspective, when I asked them what their suggestions for improvement would be, and by the way, I asked all workers that question and all 257 had suggestions for change. And the list is incredibly impressive. There were short-term, um, medium-term, long-term interventions. There were no cost, medium cost, high cost interventions, all coming from ordinary hospitality workers. And as I've said to people, if I saw that list in a HR textbook somewhere, I'd think it was brilliant. And this is coming from ordinary workers. But the mature um, interviewees that I spoke to in depth, the kind of suggestions they were making were, we need better training. We need better training for everybody, but particularly for anybody in a people management um, capacity. And I, I love the title of today's session um, because it's all about the human being in hospitality. Hospitality can't be done by a robot. It has to be done by a human being. So it's great that you're looking at the human behind hospitality. People need better wages. You know, if they start on the minimum wage, they need to see that there's opportunity for pay progression so that they can make a career out of this. There has to be a minimum set of, set of standards that are uh, regulated, enforced and upheld by, uh, by everybody in the sector, because otherwise it's an unlevel playing field. Um, if people want to join a trade union, they should be allowed to join a trade union. Now, the reality in Ireland is that less than 6% of workers are members of a trade union here. Um, in the survey, actually, the percentage was 22% said they were a member of a union. But that's an artificially inflated statistic. And the reason for it is that SIP2, which is our biggest trade union here, picked up that we were doing the research and they sent the link to the survey to their members. So that's why it was artificial at 22%. Um, most hospitality workers don't know that they're unions. Most hospitality workers, when something bad happens to them, they tell nobody. They don't go to their supervisor. They don't go to their manager. They don't go to the owner. They're certainly not going to go outside and go to the union or to go to the Workplace Relations Commission, which is our institution for um, for enforcement here. Um, people need to have proper contracts. I mean, split shifts should be banned. Um, but, you know, people need work-life balance. Um, and so while they accept that they have to work, you know, um, some weekends and some evenings. What they don't want is to be working all weekends and all evenings. Um, abusive customers need to be dealt with, and 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 I have um, plenty of anecdotal evidence that, that that's become worse post pandemic. Uh, we need proper HR policies and practices. We need respect to be shown from the top down. We need an apprenticeship. You know, we need more apprenticeships. And as I said to our government ministers last week, not apprenticeships as a source of cheap labor. Uh, we need apprenticeships that offer people the prospect of a respectable and valued career. Uh, where they may start at a low level, but they can see the, their way to progressing to a career that will allow them to have a life and raise a family and and um, and live happily ever after. Well, maybe not happily ever after. Um, so, Deidre, if, if I may just do. interject a quick uh, question. Basically, what you're saying is just be hospitable. Yes. So the, the report itself is called Inside Out Hospitality. So the idea being that we're, we're, we're very good at putting hospitality out there if you work in the sector. But let's have some of that hospitality come back in again. And sometimes when I've presented on this research, I've called my presentation spreading hospitality inwards. And I use the word spreading because it's not going to happen overnight. 
what what I think is needed is a culture change and culture change don't happen um, dramatically. They happen incrementally. So it will be a spreading. Uh, what I'm hoping for is a spreading of hospitality back inwards. So, um, you know, like I one of the questions for the audio files was I asked people, what do you like about working in hospitality? And overwhelmingly to a person, it was humans. It was human contact. What they like about it is the people. They love the people they work with. They love the people they interact with in terms of the customers. Um, they just love people. And so that was number one. Number two was the satisfaction of delivering excellent service. They loved, they got a great kick out of knowing that they'd done a great job. And if that was rewarded by a tip, even better again. And if they were allowed to keep that tip, well, whoop-de-doo, uh, which they should, of course. Um, and the third thing was the variety. You know, people love the buzz. They love the energy of, of working in the hospitality sector. But there were a lot of things that they didn't like. And again, if you bear with me, I just want to read, you know, to that question, which was, what do you like least about hospitality? This is the response of one person. And I heard her voice because it was an audiophile. And she said, I hate the times customers felt that I was a dropout for, from society or spoke to me as if I'd not tried to make things right for them. I hated being made to feel guilty by colleagues for needing time off or even just wanting it. I hated that I started to resent colleagues for the same reason. I hated being tired. I hated not being fed. I hated not having a place to take a breath and be alone. I hated getting so sucked in that I have lost friends because I always put my job f first because I had been tricked into thinking that this was the only way to work. So there was nothing I liked least. I hated aspects of my job and it is so sad that the job makes you feel that way. And every time I read that out, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, you know, and I hear her voice in my head because that was, that was from one of the audio files. So, you know, the, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very conscious that the audience are people who work in hospitality and people who work in hospitality love hospitality. And so I'm very conscious that I'm conveying a bad news story that can be can be hurtful to people. Um, and since I've published the research, I've had fascinating conversations with employers, former employers, workers, former workers, and people who have a real kind of stakeholding interest in hospitality. And Sometimes employers can be defensive about the findings and, you know, can, you know, can, can put up a defense and some of it is a valid defense, like this isn't representative, for example. Um, but some employers have said to me, you know, we know this has been going on. Before I was an employer, I was a worker. I experienced this stuff myself and I've tried to be a good employer. Um, and so, you know, and so I'm trying to build uh, an alliance of people who are interested in making things better. And what I'm hoping to do is have some kind of a platform where we have a working group, a dynamic working group where people can talk about what's wrong and how to make it right. And we have something in NUIGO we call the Whitaker Institute. It's a research institute that's housed within the university. So I'm hoping to have a kind of a rolling um dynamic working group within the Whitaker Institute where we can come together, anybody who's got any interest and say, how do we make this right? What can we do next? Is it more research? Is it lobbying the government? Is it promoting good employers? Is it helping workers to speak out? What can we do to make this better? And there's so much that we can do. You know, I've had really great conversations. I had a conversation with a 72-year-old man who contacted me when he read the research. He had been the general manager of one of the biggest hotels in Ireland for 50 years. He had a lot to say. Uh, you know, it was kind of trying to get him off the phone. Okay, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. He had so much to say, um, you know, so much good to say, so much not so good to say. And he really wants to help. And he's 72 and nobody's asking him. You know, and I'm thinking the clock is ticking for this guy and we really need to tap into that brain of experience, that wealth of experience and draw it out. For sure, Deirdre. And as you're talking there, the comments are coming in from all our regular viewers. And again, it's stuff that we know. It's stuff that still shocks us to the core. Yes. And for me especially, I think you could see, like I've, I've read your research. We've spoken so many times about it. Yes. Even just to hear stats again in person, it really hits home. I've been yes. on the receiving end of all that negativity. Yes. And my passion and Raise Up's passion, everyone's passion is to show that hospitality isn't an industry for low paid workers and low service. You yes. may start out there, but you need to, you know, 
you can make the best of it. Yes. And it can. You, there is a career pens. there for everybody. Absolutely. Mm. And I think let's go back to your conversation because first of all there's a lot of things that scream out for all of us training is a huge one yes. you know Sylvie you've worked in brands for a very long time I've worked in brands and so has Calvin you know the brand can only give you the guidelines of how everything is supposed to go but it's it's down to them managers that do it so yes. you know Sylvie I'm really interested to hear how Italy responds to items like this in particular and how brands can really empower individuals and independent hotels right now to to start changing their mindset you know i took so many notes and thank you deirdre for your presentation it's really shocking uh, but we have to face the truth and these are things that unfortunately shouldn't happen but still happen so i, I was thinking uh there are some recurring problems that come back over and over voice why do people voice. are scared to raise their voice we are talking we have been talking about inclusion and making feel people and uh, staff feeling included as part of the company for so much long and we're still scared of raise up our voice um so when i'm thinking about also chains or you know big companies as you talked about christina yes you said right we companies do have guidelines uh, they have a code of conduct they have all those rules yes. but in the end that's something that is written on the paper you need to have humans that talk to the people so i i would ask uh, each one of the single employees that work in a hotel or in a company how many times did they have the, the chance to talk to hr mm. Uh, do they even know what's the HR name, for example? Who is the real person that they have to go to talk to when they have issues like that? So there's a big problem of communication first. And the fact that I think um, on the top management side that are the people that should take care about these things, management should really be uh, concerned about uh, these things happening at their hotel. Probably sometimes I think uh, they are too overwhelmed, too focused on numbers that yeah. they lose sight of what's really important, people, because it's people that make hospitality. Mm. And uh, guests remember people. They don't care about mm -hmm. you having to run numbers or having to deal 90% of the time with the owners. So there's a still a long way to go on that, also for big companies, I would say. That's my opinion. Just Yep. To respond to that, Sylvia, so um, from the survey, 48% of people felt they had no voice. And then when I asked people on the audio files, uh, tell me about an incident and, you know, who, what action did you take? Most of them do not report because, and the few who do report, uh, the number of times where the incident was properly dealt with was very low and often the perpetrators of the incident are somebody who's in a position of power and so they don't feel you know they don't feel that they have the, that they have the power to speak out yeah. which is why when i was watching the intro to this and you know i came across this platform because it was another um absolute silver lining from publishing the research and I connected with Christina and I think you have a fantastic thing going here and so every time I've spoken about this research since I've mentioned raise up because you, the whole concept is fantastic it's the collectivizing of hospitality workers in order to help each other and to support each other and to give each other a voice and to educate each other and inform each other it's absolutely fantastic um, and so, you know, congratulations to you so far and keep doing what you're doing because there's such a such a huge need for this. And we just need to make more people aware that it, that, that it's available to them. But I, voice love the way you, I love the way you mentioned voice, Deirdre, and yeah. on the other end, because I'm going to be honest with you, I've had that situation. Yeah. I've gone to HR, my voice was never heard. Yes. And obviously I'm completely different to the person I was 10 years ago within yeah. hospitality. I was so quiet. I was so meek. But it yeah. wasn't until I came to Dublin almost 10 years ago, I realized if I want to be taken seriously in this world and I want to champion the change that I've experienced, then I need to push on and I need to be vocal about some things. Now, unfortunately, over the last year or so, it has, like I said, at the background, it's really slipped. You know, training has slipped. Engagement with their staff has slipped. And I do really firmly believe that there are some amazing new leaders yeah. up and coming within this industry who are being suppressed by Jurassic leaders who don't really believe in this strategic change that needs to happen. Yeah. And I think that these are the people that sit in their office that hide behind the multiple numbers of teams that they have to be able yeah. to handle all these cases. Yeah. And they're just so blinded 
And I think that's a huge issue that we need to focus in the education system is the diversity inclusion of hospitality workers and how when you get to a senior management level, you need to remember you were actually on the bottom end of a really bad manager at one stage Mm. or another. So you really need to step up and change your mindset to make sure that you're not like them. We always say we're never going to be like them, but we always slip back into that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and linking to this, I mean, it's the same thing of stepping out from your computer and go to have a look and work with your yes. team at times. That's important. That's why people like in your comment wrote, I'm doing the, the work of five people. And yes. nobody understands that because no. there's nobody really understanding what needs to be done in order to yes. allow that kind of job. So we really need to go back down to earth and understand and stay with our with our staff, with our team members to understand yeah. what are they struggling with. Uh, and create a really positive environment. So just just um, another hat that I wear in NUI Galway, I am the program director for a master's in human resources. And the first day that I have the students, I say to them, my name is Deirdre Kern, I'm the program director for the master's in human resources, and I'm anti-human resources. And they all kind of look at me. And the reason I say that is for me, human resources has moved too far away from what it's supposed to be doing. Um, to me, human resources is supposed to be the mediator and moderator between the employer and management on one side and workers on the other side. But in a lot of places, it's moved, shifted too far towards the employer and away from the employee. And we really need to get that back on track. And several people in the research talked about um, how they did go to HR and um, and it didn't always make things better and sometimes made things worse. So absolutely, we need proper HR. You know, we need decent HR. Um, but another thing came to mind when you were talking there. And um, I have a friend who lives in Spain and he, he was teaching in one of the hotel management colleges in Spain. And he gave his students an exercise where they had to um, do a presentation. They had to record themselves doing the presentation and they could pick whatever topic they wanted. So this young woman chose as her topic for her presentation to talk about um, her experience of being harassed, sexually harassed in the course of her work. And she probably is only 19 or 20. She was on placement from college. And it was a fantastic recording because she taught, you know, another thing I teach is conflict management. And, you know, I talk about deal with it as quickly as possible at the lowest possible level. If that doesn't work, go to the next level. If that doesn't work, she instinctively followed that process. She tried to address it directly with the people first saying, I'm uncomfortable with the things you're saying. I'm uncomfortable with the questions that you're asking. Things like, are you still a virgin? The relevance to my work, I don't know. So she tried to address it herself. That didn't work. She went to her manager. That didn't work. She went to HR and HR said, well, we've had no other complaints. And so they did nothing. But she could see that other people were being subjected to the same experience. They just weren't speaking out. And the end of her little presentation, and I asked her permission to use it, um, you know, at various platforms. And I have at the end of it, she says, you know, at least I know that when I get to be a hotel manager, I will be conscious that this kind of thing happens. And if somebody comes to me, I will be much more aware of of their situation and that something needs to happen, which I thought was a beautifully positive um, finish to her story. But I mean, I've come across people who have been damaged by their experience of work. So for me, it's an ethical issue. You know, nobody should be damaged, you know, during the course of their work. You know, I've, 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 people have been, you know, they've been assaulted, they've been insulted, they've been humiliated. And, and that has an impact on some people more than others, but it also has an impact outside of your work. Um, and I don't think any employer has a right to, to damage human beings. So that's a kind of a basic principle that I have. I think what's interesting is that you are mentioning all these things and, you know, no one actually thinks about the darker side that comes with hospitality as well as this side. But also, you know, I actually have some really good friends in the industry through years who've gone through a lot of mental issues because of the situations yeah. they've been in one or two of my friends are no longer with us either by drug abuse because they've been working so many hours they got yes. sucked into this world um or you know when the pandemic hit they weren't able to provide for their family and just the whole thing snowballed and i do think that's the darker side that no one looks at and you know we touched on very briefly the likes of trade unions like sip for instance you know, in Ireland in particular, hospitality workers are not fully aware that they are able to join a trade union. It's it's kind of an 
it's a secret, but it's also shunned upon, you know, and a lot of people see trade unions as a, I don't know what way to put it, that it's more restrictive in regards to how they're able to treat their employees. Mm. Whereas I've seen the benefits of it because my partner, my husband is involved in a trade union. And, you know, if we could get more people involved in it, the better for the workers, the better for the industry, but also there's a cost. And that's something that, you know, the trade unions need to work on. We just touched on the price of minimum wage. It's under 11 euros. They, yeah. These people should not be paying to join a trade union, in particular, no. especially in a, in a low working industry, because that's what hospitality is actually seen. Mm. And I do think these trade unions in particular need to start working with the likes of the hospitality boards and the tourism boards to actually get people more involved in the trade unions, get voices from workers, but also not be that we're enforcing all our trade union laws on you as a company, because this is how we do it for our clients. It, it, there needs it's to be a partnership. Yeah, yes. it should be a partnership. And I think there needs to be as well, you know, more add ons, you know, it's not about getting tips. The day of tips is gone because no one tips anyways. We're in a we're in a cashless yeah. society. And very little. I've heard so many scary stories throughout the whole summer of people not even getting a tip and they're working 12, 14, 15 hour shifts. You know, yeah. and that's terrifying, especially yeah. in certain industries like bar work. But you know, proper healthcare, proper PRSI, proper insurance. You know, yeah. no one's actually getting pensions. Yes. I remember joining a position as a GM and actually getting a pension. And I remember just being absolutely gobsmacked. Like yeah. this was happening it was life you know and yeah. i remember joining a job and it was health insurance and a pension and you're like wow it, yeah. it just changes your mind yeah and it's something that you know in the uk you have to pay yeah um i suppose one of the things that shocked me most you know about the research was an acceptance by workers of bad behavior you know, an acceptance that, oh, you know, that's just the way it is. And, you know, they've been told, oh, you need to toughen up or, you know, where there's um, where there's offensive or verbal, what, what I would call verbal abuse. It's like, oh, you know, you need to man up or person up. Um, you know, that's just the way things are around here. Um, but on a positive note, Christina, there is so much scope for improvement. And it's like I was saying about the suggestions that workers had very simple things up to very complicated things. And so every single change is going to be a step a step forward towards towards a better day. So there's, you know, there's lots of scope for improvement. And, you know, these things happen in other sectors as well. Um, it's not just hospitality, but I think there are unique features of hospitality that make it particularly uh, vulnerable to uh, to kind of ill treatment of workers, um, whether it's because it's a small establishment uh, owned by a chef who's very passionate about food but doesn't know how to manage people, or whether it's because it's seen as an industry for people who can't get anything better, or whether it's because, um, you know, um, people don't know their rights or they don't know how to speak up or there's a big proportion of migrant labor who are even more afraid to speak out um, and may not even speak English um, or the, the host language. So that's that's there's all sorts of reasons why hospitality is particularly challenging, but there's so much scope for improvement. So, you know, so the, the future is very bright in the sense that even if we take baby steps, we're going to be moving in the right direction for a very long time. I definitely think absolutely. And there's something about, you know, it's the buy-in from everybody. So, you know, if you're watching today and you haven't actually seen Dr. Judith Kern's research, I actually posted a link to it on LinkedIn. So you're actually able to see it and get involved and spark the conversation because yeah. the change can happen, but it needs to happen from us. You cannot wait for the next generation to come along and change these, you know, and I think what's really interesting, Deirdre, is you actually touched on employment rights. I only know a certain aspect of the employment rights. Yeah. I don't know them all, yeah. but I do know where the book stops. And, you know, I, I don't know what way to put it, but I would even, I'm almost on the brink of tears because, you know, everyone is so shocked by this, but we yes. all know what's been happening. Yeah. And I think it's not until you have the stark numbers and percentages there. That's when, you know, it really hits home in particular. Mm. And, you know, for instance, women's voices have been unheard in travel tech for a very, very long time as yeah. well. It's not just in hospitality, yeah. whereas there are some companies that work exceptionally amazingly well to drive change, to embrace this new ecosystem and this new, almost like a mindset recheck. Mm. But it's down to us to change how people are working as well through mentoring, through coaching. But also the most important thing is training. Everyone yeah. has lost their training. New starts are no longer, 
you know, subject to two weeks of horror training. I used to call it horror training. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Calvin would remember this as well. You spent a very mm -hmm. lot, and, and Sylvia, you'd spend a week or a few days in everybody's department. <coughs> so you understand how Brilliant. anybody's role is different and how, it, but that's gone. And yeah. the retraining in SOPs is gone. I remember I used to come with my big folder wedged with SOPs that I would have written on the systems, on how to check in people, how to check out people, even yeah. down to user guest profiles. And, you know, that's all gone. No one does this anymore. It seems yeah. that we've lost that love yeah. and we just, it's accepted now that we work for bad bosses and that we work in mediocre businesses and yeah. we are just going to learn on a day-to-day -day basis. It's ad hoc learning. It's not, yeah. I think it's not knowledge embracing. The mature, um, you know, the mature, I call them mature, people who have 30, 40, 50 years of experience are an incredible asset uh, because they have seen everything, you know, and they have probably worked their way up through the system. And they're at that stage, like myself, where you're old enough that you think, well, I don't care whether you like what I'm saying or not, I'm going to say it anyway. So they're willing to speak out. You know, they feel more confident speaking out. So, so there's a whole cohort there of people who you know, like when I spoke to them, they had lived through a recession in Ireland and they had things to say, like a lot of the hotels went bust and then they were bought by property developers and the property developer, they, they were hotels that had been run by families for generations. Uh, then they, 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 you know, went bust during the, the recession and they were brought by property developers developers who were only interested in making a profit so it was bring in workers you know keep the margins down in terms of labor costs uh, you know bring in customers stack them high pile them high get as much as possible but they didn't have that understanding of hospitality or that passion for hospitality you know they just had a passion for making money out of a premises that they had bought so there was lots of insights that you wouldn't even think of that I certainly wouldn't think of that people had who had been around for a very long time and we, you know, we really do need to start tapping into that. But everybody's voice needs to be heard. You know, when, when I talk about this research, you know, I talk about the, th the reason I'm so passionate about it is it fits totally with my own personal values. So if you were to say to me, what are your, your strongest personal values? Number one is justice. I cannot stand injustice. And so, you know, I'll climb over ditches to get at injustice if I come across it. Number two is voice. I think every single person should have a voice, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life. And number three is equity, not necessarily equality, although that's important. But sometimes people have to be treated more, more equally uh, in order to catch up with the people who've been treated equally for a very long time. So equity is very important. And so the reason that this research resonated so much with me is it just it ties into all of my professional experience and my own personal values. And I'm not speaking for myself. You know, I'm only a loudspeaker for hospitality workers. So if they're afraid to speak, I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking for me. I'm speaking for them, which is why I try and use their voice wherever possible. I think what's really interesting is that there's so many comments there about, you know, even feedback. But I know from past experience using, you know, these technological feedback forms, mm. You can put as much as you want down there, mm. but culture leads to change internally first for it to be adopted. And I've seen it. I, I don't know how many times through the years I've filled in these forms and it was just ignored. My yes. voice was totally unheard of. And then it wasn't until I was gone maybe six or seven years that someone actually said to me, well, you were actually right back then when you were asking for these changes. And I was going, yeah. well, you know, it's a bit too late now because the rest of the team is gone as well. And I think and that's I something that needs to change is people's brains and mindsets and especially owners owners yeah. mindsets that people are dispensable they're yes. not dispensable that is yeah. a huge thing and I heard that last year from an owner of a hospitality chain they said to me it's okay I'll replace that person tomorrow yeah. morning no problem that's yeah. you're yeah. losing knowledge you're yeah. losing the care they may have had you're losing a lot of information yeah but in relation to employee voice there what you were just saying Christina um I would rather you didn't ask me at all if you're going to ask me and then ignore me. I think that's adding insult to injury. So workers will cop on very quickly uh, when, you, when they're being asked and then ignored because there's a whole academic literature called employee silence where employees choose to be silent for a number of reasons, one of which is, you know, whenever I do speak out, you just ignore me. So I'm going to choose to be silent. And yet these people have wonderful things to say.
But the other thing that came to my mind, I teach about employee voice. You know, it's one of the topics that I teach. And I came across a very creative mechanism for employee voice where the the chief executive of a company every Friday would push a tea and cake trolley around the shop floor, the work floor. And so he would push this trolley filled with coffee and tea and fancy cakes to every desk in the office. And I thought that was genius because, first of all, the optics of him serving you instead of the other way around was very powerful. But also he he was forced to have eye contact with every single person at every desk and to have a conversation with them about, you know, you know, one sugar or two, but also, you know, how, how are things going? You know, how are you finding, how are you finding work? Is there any, have you any suggestions? So a bit of creativity goes a long way, you know, and we could be very creative about making simple changes that would be very, very effective. I mean, I'll give you another example. You know, when I appeared at the Oireachtas Committee, which was a pretty big deal, you're talking to government ministers, the president of the university here sent a personal letter to me copied to my head of department, the dean, the, the head of the school and the dean saying, well done. And there was enough in the letter to show that he had actually read the research. Um, and, you know, then saying that the NUI Galway kind of prides itself on research that is actually informing policy and practice. Cost him nothing, but an extremely powerful acknowledgement, um, very easy to do and, and, and a really powerful acknowledgement of efforts that people are making. So it's not big money necessarily. It's not big effort even. And, and if we're a little bit creative, we can find ways to make people feel respected, feel valued, feel heard um, and, and, and tap into what they have to say about how things could be better. I think what's wonderful, Deirdre, is that you're bringing this to government. You actually went to the Oireachtas, which is quite big. It's a huge deal to see people champion such workers' rights, in particular within hospitality industry. And it's something that globally needs to be done so that, you know, every every country should be doing this. Every industry should, should be doing this. Instead of having people constantly tweeting, constantly putting messages online, on LinkedIn, or industry is on its knees, we can't hire people, we can't yeah. entice people back in. The only way you're going to entice people back into an industry is proactively showing that you are all willing to change. And it's yeah. not just from an individual level and a hotel independent or a chain level. It's actually from a legal and government level as well. But unfortunately, as we touched on as well, in many cases, a lot of these powerful people that are in government also own yes. hospitality chains or hospitality yeah. companies or are part of them. Yeah. So, you know, you're trying to also change their mindset so that they adopt this new wave of change. And it's so important, you know, employee rights are radically changing across the world on a regular basis and this whole work from home structure has completely changed it for many people mm. but now after the pandemic i do think we need to start relooking at everything the cost of living is going up it's either through inflation or or due to greed the cost of wages are not increasing the cost of health care is increasing you know all these costs are spearheading and there's nothing for the lower paid workers on yeah. any scale be it a receptionist a bar worker a kitchen porter and, you know, we have these amazing people then within our industry, such as, you know, Jess from Kai in Galway, who's trying desperately to get staff, who has yeah. the most amazing reputation on hiring people and having a great experience. And yeah. They can't anymore. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just devastating. And, you know, it's that small five to 10 percent of the industry who have created this massive minefield for everyone, because and this is also down to media. The bad news stories are constantly yes. being shown. Now, in order yeah. to move past, we need to air the dirty laundry. Yeah. But, you know, there's no real good news story. I don't know how many times I've I've written to local papers. I've written to the Independent, the Irish Times, even papers globally saying, hey, look, at hospitality is on its knees. We have a bad reputation, but I'm one of the good news stories to come out of it. Let me yeah. showcase what happened to me. Absolutely. I was a receptionist. Yeah. I've had all yeah. the crap. Yeah. But here I am now. Yeah. No one and wants to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, no, but they, I think they do. You just have to find the right platform. And we do need to highlight good practice and we do need good employers coming out and saying it's unacceptable to have this kind of treatment in our sector. And this is how I show respect and dignity to my workers and I can still make a very decent profit. So we, we do need to hear the voice. You know, I'm an academic. I'm independent from it all, which makes it easier in some respects. But we need people from within um, and and leadership. We didn't get to talk about today, but that that's a whole other. We need leadership in the sector. I don't know what other 
the countries are like, but I think our leadership here um, of um, of employer bodies is really sadly lacking um, and we need proper leadership. So we need voice from the bottom, leadership from the top and ideas, creative ideas coming from all different directions. But just, be, just to say, in case I forget to say it before I finish, I will talk to anybody, anytime, any place about about hospitality so you know so you have seen me now um you're it's an open invite um i want to continue to contribute to this conversation um the piece of research i just talked about is a baby step i want to keep taking baby steps so um so if anybody thinks i can help with anything or or would like to discuss anything that i've said um you are welcome to to make contact and uh, christina has my contact details she probably knows Thank where you. I <laughs> well, it's it's a very strange world and a very small world, dear and I have found out over the last course of the few months because again She knows my children. Exactly. Well, I actually used to teach Deirdre's children in a summer camp many, many years ago. These guys are the cutest little kids ever. <laughs> They'll kill They're me for saying that now, but yes. <laughs> they kids were with okay. beards. Kids with beards. Um, but I have to say, you know, Adele Gutman, who's been in the chat a lot, um, Adele is probably one of the most formidable woman who's constantly championing change within the industry not just from a sales and a revenue but also an employee relationship point of view so I'll put Adele in contact with you Deirdre right. also she made reference to Dr Peter Ritchie who's actually based in the USA very very cool guy he actually again right. is championing change within the industry and travel and I'll make sure I connect you with him as well so you Excellent. can talk to him and obviously if anyone in our audience have any questions or actually want to share your own thoughts and comments with Deirdre from your region's point of view yeah. because you must remember Deirdre is focused on Ireland but she wants to blow it on a global scale please yeah. get in contact with her either today tomorrow I'm going to be honest with you we are huge fans of her Marjorie is also a big fan of her Marjorie from Revenue Hacks and Raise Up um, and you know we are all championing change within this industry and that is so important you know your voice matters and I think that is the most important thing matters. we all need to take from today's call is yeah. that your voice matters yeah. um, you know if you need to move jobs to be able to feel that you can get yeah. on please do I'm look at my LinkedIn I'm a perfect job hopping you know success for a very long time but that was again because my voice wasn't heard I wasn't getting trained mm. but you know there are good news stories out there for sure yes. Dr Deirdre Kern thank you so much for joining us You're today so it welcome. has been absolutely amazing to have you on the call and actually see so many people passionate about the industry but also shocked you know mm. we all feel our faces probably hit the floor. I seen, I actually, Sylvia, your pen was going 90 at the start when, when she was reading out all these stats. But you know, unless I we hear these, we can't go forward. Yeah, let's go forward. So thank you all for joining us. Remember, you can follow on this conversation here on LinkedIn. You can also follow it on Raise Up. Don't forget to register for the Raise Up event, which is going to be following on from this conversation, which is, is there a solution to the hospitality staff crisis, which will be happening live in London on Wednesday, the 3rd of November. There is an event bright link in the comments here. You can do it and we'll post it again on LinkedIn and all, all social media this week. So you can actually join us. It's going to be amazing. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.